Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Mahesh Kedia, Vice President, GTM Operations and Revenue Strategy Marketer at Marketa. Marketa brings speed and efficiency to card issuing and payment processing with the world's first open API platform. Mahesh is a digital payment and fintech professional with expertise in payment strategy, platform expansion, and partnership development with financial institutions, payment networks, and technology partners. In this episode, Mahesh discusses using RevOps to find your target audience, the biggest misconception about RevOps, and what happens when you combine strategy and execution. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview with Mahesh Kedia, Vice President, GTM Operations and Revenue Strategy Marketer, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Rise of RevOps is always presented by Qualified. You can go to qualified.com to learn more. And I have a special guest, Mahesh. How are you? Thank you, Ian, and thank you for welcoming me here. It's a happy Friday. Really, really a big pleasure to come and speak to you. Yeah, super excited to chat about Marketa, about all the cool stuff you're doing, and of course, your background. So let's get into it. Can you tell me, first job in RevOps? Well, my first job in RevOps was sales planning and comp design. I've been uh, in the payment industry for over more than 20 years. I've worked across Amex, PayPal, and now at Marketa. And interestingly, my role has evolved. Uh, I didn't start in revenue operations. I've done several sales roles, BD roles, including deal pricing, account management, and P&L. In fact, my team was instrumental in launching one of our key products. Over the last few years, I've been very heavily involved with revenue operations, pricing, sales and comm design, and it's been a really exciting journey, both at Marketa and prior to that. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about your current role. So in my current role, we have a a small but a very effective revenue operations team at Marketa. And the way we look at revenue operation at Marketa is kind of defining it as the connected tissue which combines the effort of sales, marketing, and customer success team to streamline processes and propel revenue growth at Marketa. We are the team which strives to be the revenue machine driving operational excellence driven by innovation to support Marketa's growth and operational efficiency objectives. What that means is, what basically means we try to grow revenue through our new and existing customers, increase the deal velocity and viability, and enable new revenue pursuits to support our strategic business objectives. Uh, At Marketa, we touch almost every aspect, what I call from lead to deal and from deal to dollar. So right all the way when the lead kind of comes in, even like downloads a website or a paper, all the way to signing the contract and launching it, and then ultimately ramping up the customers to the full ability of Marketa and using its platform to grow and propel the business. What's your definition of RevOps? I think I touched a little bit about uh, when you mentioned revenue operations. I think for me, revenue operation is that single cohesive unit that kind of brings together marketing, sales, and customer success teams together. And it kind of brings that in a unified manner so that the customer experience is 
one touch experience. At the end of the day, the customer is dealing with one single entity and it doesn't have to go to marketing or sales or customer service. And what that does is it creates a unified journey and it helps both the customer and marketer to achieve growth in different vectors. It's so funny, right? Like, and we talk about this all the time on the show that it's always only been one customer journey. We just broke it up into all these different departments. And there's never been an organization that oversees that journey. And now you have this RevOps function that's looking at this, the snake that's cut into a bunch of different pieces and being like, hey, do you know that this thing is just kind of all one thing and it doesn't need to be you know, sliced and diced all these different ways? It seems so obvious now in retrospect, but it, it just wasn't that way for a long time. You're absolutely right. Like We have a saying at Marketer that the customer should not know what our org structure is. At the end of the day, we should be one. Like reaching out to Marketer, he should not know whether I'm in sales or marketing or customer service. It's basically like I'm serving the customer at a single touch point and the handoffs are seamless. And I think in the past, you would have that disjointed experiences. I think uh, the tech industry's adoption of revenue operations as uh, efficiency driving machine and an engine has really kind of brought that whole element together. And now we have tech stacks, which supports that as well. So you have data, which kind of helps you that. You have tools and processes in place, which helps you manage the customer journey and the handoffs in a very seamless manner. And it makes the deal velocity go faster. It makes your RAM go faster. It propels revenue and it has a lot of other effects. It improves your efficiency and return on investment on your sales teams, your marketing teams, and your customer service teams. And how do you organize your RevOps team? It's an interesting question. So we actually have two teams. Uh, My team is organized around two vectors. One is the go-to-market strategy team, and the second vector is the go-to-market revenue operations team. What we do is, along those both the vectors, you know, on the go-to-market strategy team, there are some key areas where we focus on. I'll talk a little bit about that. Some of the key areas which we focus on is the deal renewal strategies and achieving our dollar-based net retention goals. We have company-wide dollar-based net retention goal and this team is kind of tasked to kind of figure, you know, we renew all those deals and we achieve our DBNR goals. We also have a pricing team and the idea of that team is to help figure out what's the best price we can charge to our customers and also help our sales team understand that pricing. One other piece which this team does very well is come out with the KPIs for the strategic alignment across sales, marketing, and customer service. The other team which we have is the GTM operations team, which is more traditional revenue operations team, which does more day-to-day and activities associated with revenue operations. That team is broken down into four pillars. We have a deal desk team, which basically looks at end-to-end deal management process. The second team is the sales planning and comp team, and that designs and manages effective compensation and incentive structures. And the last team we have is the revenue enablement, which basically creates all supporting sales collaterals and RFP process for the revenue teams. So that's how the teams are organized, and you know, it's working really good right now for us. Any things about you know your team and, and sort of building this or, or things that like lessons along the way in terms of organization? It seems like you have a pretty wired in at this point. It's a very happy blend. Like the strategy team works more on the go-to-market strategy side and it actually tries to figure out where to play and how to play. Uh, and one good example I'll give is like when we looked at our pipeline efficiency and our pipeline metrics last year when I joined, we looked at a particular set of opportunities and realized that our sales 
marketing and deal desk team, we're burning a lot of sales cycle on a particular set of segment of opportunities. And the ROI on those were much below our normal standards. We went and dived deep into it. And then from a strategy perspective, we actually came with the realization that this is not the segment or these are not the set of opportunities the sales team should be burning their calories on. And then we presented the findings to the CEO, CRO, CFO, and ultimately, as a team, we agreed that that was not the best utilization of companies' resources. And what that did was it actually helped us to move our sales team and pivot them to focus on the right set of opportunities. And we've seen tremendous progress over the last two quarters as we kind of moved away, deliberately moved away. It's a good example of like how strategy can influence revenue generation and revenue opportunities. All right. Any other thoughts on strategy or? Uh... Yeah. The second thought I'll give is when I joined uh, Marketa about a year ago, Marketa's go-to-market team had evolved over time. And it was time for us to rethink our strategies and change the way we operate and structure our sales team. And this becomes really important because in a hyper growth environment, like we've been growing at 40 to 50% year over year, it becomes even more critical. Uh, Market was like 200, 300 people literally two or three years ago. And today we have 1,000 people. We have really grown in leaps and bounds. We did not have, I would say, a very consistent revenue organization. Teams worked in silos. And one of the things we looked from a strategy perspective along with our CRO and CEO was to create what we call a unified board structure, which basically brought together the BD team, the sales team, the customer success team, and created a one single cohesive unit, which could act as a single touch point for the customers. This change, this org design change, has resulted in massive operational gains for us. And we've kind of had the last two to three quarters with amazing results. We supplemented that from a revenue operations perspective with a new design on our comp. And that's worked beautifully for us. Again, the results are showing itself. Uh, you know, we'll be releasing our Q1 numbers and it looks very promising. That's awesome. What a great story. Any other thoughts on uh, strategy before we get to the next segment? Look, I think strategy for us is a continuous evolution. What I call is strategy without execution is just a vision and execution without strategy is just confusion. Kind of bringing them together is what RevOps can really do. And that's what our team is trying to get together to bring the elements of strategy and execution in a seamless manner so that we can achieve company's goals and objectives. All right, let's get to our next segment, Rev Obstacles. Obstacle, obstacle. An obstacle to what? There's your obstacle! Where we talk about the tough parts of RevOps. What's the hardest RevOps problem you faced in the last six months? How'd you solve it? So I think I referred a little bit like one of the things which we were like, where do we focus our RevOps team's energy and efforts? And we soon figured out there were segments which we should not be going after. And how do we kind of manage that? The second was that our RevOps central source of information and truth, our Salesforce system, had a lot of data hygiene issues. And we've been in a journey over the last, I would say, one to two quarters to create that central source of truth and have it much more better organized so that we have the right source of truth. The third piece I would say is like, we have also looked at enhancing our tool set. What are the challenges which we have had uh, over the last 
couple of quarters, I would say, is attribution. Anytime, you know, you're working with marketing tech stacks uh, or RevOps tech stacks, like sales teams always want to know the attribution factor because it ultimately affects everything from their compensation to how you reach out to the customer. And we're trying to get better and better at that attribution model. It will take some time, but we are engaging with the different tools, different processes to kind of handle and manage it. What about a RevOps moment where uh, you made a, made a mistake on something in the last in the last year? I don't think I will call it a mistake, but like we grossly underestimated the capacity we needed from a RevOps team's perspective to manage the amount of support we are providing to the RevOps team. I'll give you an example. In any given quarter, you know, we approve and price uh, CPQ like 200 codes. So to do that, you know, 200 codes, roughly, give or take, that's a large number. You're doing roughly two to three every working day. In a B2B environment, you have to be very organized and make sure that you're passing on the correct ones. We are a very small team, and we soon realized we needed to beef up the team because we could not scale by having such a small team support the pricing and the deal desk function. So we are now investing more time and resources to kind of build that to so that we support our teams better and then they can support the revenue engine. One of the obviously big mistake is, as you sort of mentioned, people not being able to sort of align things between sales, marketing, customer success. Uh, obviously, you're doing a bunch of stuff there. Any ways that you've sort of like avoided some rev obstacles there by making sure people are aligned? Any things that you know, somebody could implement in their business right now to sort of align sales marketing CS? What we have done is uh, with the new pod structure, we now have individual goals and team goals. And these are aligned all the way from marketing to sales to customer success. And there are clear metrics and they're measured on a quarterly basis, both at the individual level and the team level. What that has done is there's a clear KPI, which anyone in the team can go and see and understand what their goals is and what the team's goals is. What this has done is much more aligned resourcing, much more aligned capacity planning, and also much more focus on the right activities to get to the right outcomes. I think that KPI framework of all the way from marketing to customer success, I think is the key to make sure that everyone buys into it and then you're aligned, and then you're incentivized once you hit that KPI. I think that really makes the organization work as one single unit. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the tool shed. Hey, hey Brandon, Michael, want to do me and Mom a favor, get off that shed? This is my favorite place, <laughs> the tool shed. Get off the shed! We're talking tools, spreadsheets, and metrics, just like everybody's favorite tool, qualified. No B2B tool shed is complete without qualified start conversations with your buyers directly on your website. Go to qualified.com right now to learn more. Toolshed, Mahesh, what do you got in the toolshed? So I'll start at the top of the funnel all the way to the bottom of the funnel. From a marketing standpoint, we have a very healthy tech stack you know, that keeps our team both efficient and drives revenue growth. We are currently implementing uh, Marketo to unlock improved both lead flow automation and uh, reporting. Along that, we are very excited to kind of utilize, start utilizing, I would say, Adobe Measure. And that helps us to provide multi-touch attribution modeling and better cost analysis by channel. 
We also have demand base, uh, which is integrated with our Salesforce, which enables our marketing and sales team to understand where the prospects are coming and where they are in the buying cycle. And we get detailed reports on who's engaging with Marketer, how long they've been engaging with us, and it really helps our marketing and the SDR teams to do that. But that's on the top of the funnel. If we go from a sales standpoint, our main system is Salesforce, which supports the workflows for our revenue teams in areas of lead, account management, opportunity creation, CPQ. The Salesforce CPQ supports many of the workflows by pre-configuring, I would say, our products, pricing, and codes. And it bundles it in a very simplified and automated way. In addition to that, once we have that, we have a document management system, which we use for our contract management purposes. And then for our reports and dashboards and KPIs, we have Salesforce, which integrates with a robust analytical tool called Looker. I don't know if you've ever used that. And then we have Intelligence 360, which is now called Insight Square, to extend the functionality and gain further insights. We use DocuSign as a briefly mentioned, uh, to streamline our contract management and customer agreement processes. We have some other tools, but these are like, I would say, the primary 70 to 80% of our usage. We have tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator to identify and build relationships. We have Gong to enable our sales teams for call training and insights. And last but not the least, once we have signed the contract, we have Asana, which is used by our customer and product onboarding teams to help manage the delivery and implementation process. So there's a variety of tools which we use. We keep on kind of going back and forth with some of them, but these are like from the central tools which have been in the company for a few years, and we're kind of building on those. Is there something you're excited about investing in and over the course of the next year? One of the things uh, I briefly mentioned we have had huge challenges is the multi-touch attribution. It is extremely hard. And, you know, especially our marketing team in this environment has to justify every dollar invested and not only justify, but how do you optimize if you cannot measure the dollar correctly? And I think we are very excited about Adobe to come in and help us with that multi-touch attribution model. You know, I think that would be a big gap, which we will fill. We are also investing, we haven't decided yet, but we are looking to invest in a sales compensation tool. We're currently doing it mostly offline. So we want to have an integrated tool for Salesforce uh, to do that. And we're evaluating two to three vendors. And I think those two areas are a big focus for us as we kind of build and scale our systems. Yeah, the multi-touch attribution stuff is so hard because, yeah, obviously, so Caspian, we make video podcast series for for the enterprise. And so... We see a lot of attribution stuff because we're in it every day. And so what you see all the time is someone who, you know, converts on an ad. And then they say that the reason why they converted is because they listen to the customer's podcast or they do that stuff. So the impetus for the conversion was the learning, all that other stuff was sourced from a different area. But then, you know, the final touch and like, that's where it's like, it's just so hard and marketing is like, ridiculously complicated now. It's so much more complicated than ever. Buying is so much more complicated than ever. So it's like helping the marketing team and sales team figure out where that pipeline is. Because it's not just like sourced pipe. It's just not like it used to be, you know. So multi-touches, that's a great point that we're all trying to figure out. Yeah, I mean, it's like 
to date, our Salesforce has been more of a first touch attribution model, but we all know like, you know, B2B sales cycles are anywhere between six to nine months at the low end, and then could be multiple years. And a lot could happen between the first time you went to the website or downloaded a case study or a report to contacting an SDR or having a direct contract with the executive team members. And kind of figuring out that multi-touch attribution really helps or we believe will help us to figure out, you know, what are the marketing channels and how we are doing against them. We spend a lot of money on media. We spend a lot of money on brand activations. We go to events like Money 2020. And it's really hard, like, to go in front of finance teams and justify those investments when you don't have the data to back it up, you know. It's been the holy grail, as you know, for a long period of time, not only for revenue operations, but in general for the marketing tech stacks teams. So we are excited to see where we can go with it. We have been investing in Marketo measure, as you know. Yeah, well, so no, I was going to ask, I'm curious, as a RevOps leader, especially from a strategic standpoint, when you're looking at like multi-year time horizons and things like that, we're like, okay, you know, six to nine months or more, and that marketing leader who's saying, there are things that we are going to do, an initiative that we are going to do, that you cannot track as a one-off thing, a billboard, for example. We are just talking to someone who ran a billboard ad that everyone thought it was stupid. And then they did a self-reported attribution. And they had like, I forget how many customers, it was a crazy number of people that signed that were just like, I see your billboard ads all the time and they're freaking hilarious. And you're like, everyone thought it was this stupid thing. They spent all this money on these billboard ads, but it showcased that brand and who they are and their personality in a way that aided to the brand, right? It's not an awareness play. It's an affinity play. And like those are those sort of things. Like when you're trying to justify the spend before you spend the money, no CFO on the planet is going to be like, this is a great idea because you can't track it. I totally agree. We try to measure individual attribution, as you rightly said, but we also try to measure brand health and awareness. And there are some, some metrics that we use to kind of figure out like, what are these things doing? But I'll give you an example. Like we spend a lot of money in the payments world. Money 2020 is a very big event. You know, you could easily spend at the low end a couple of million dollars all the way to $25, $30 million on a single event. And that's a big amount of money. Like Marketa is not a huge company. We are a thousand people. So for, for us to spend that amount of money, we need to justify that investment. And you might meet a prospect in Money 2020 in the month of October when it happens. And the prospect won't come back to you till like January or February, but you had had that conversation with him. Now, how do you track it? How do you measure it? He might have gone to the website three times. In between that, he might have downloaded a few pages. He might have seen some ads, some emails. It's so hard to kind of blend all of that together and say like, okay, the first touch attribution here actually resulted in the second touch, the third touch, the fourth touch. And ultimately, in the month of April, we started negotiating a deal with them. And it's always been a challenge. And so we are really excited to figure out. I think there's a bit of leap of faith you will have to have in some of these things that they work. And you have to measure them not on a monthly or a quarterly basis, but more over a period of time. And I think there are other metrics which you have to use other than you know, a direct attribution method to measure the effectiveness of some of these campaigns. As I said, like Billboard is a great example. Of that like people spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads, you know, and there's always a question mark do they generate enough ROI or not? Yeah, and I think that like one off campaigns is just not how marketing is done really anymore. 
And that's like at the end of the day, like it's so many touches. One of my favorite marketers of all time, uh, Chandar, the CMO, uh, former CMO Marketo, he says, you know, paint the skies, right? And like, that's like everywhere you look or everywhere your prospects look, you want them to see your brand. And I love that idea. It's like their sky is what is in front of them, right? It's not paint the entire world with that. It's like, where are they looking? What can they see and doing that? And companies that do that really well, they win. If you have a good product and you're constantly being reminded how good of a product it is, like you're going to win. And that's not a single campaign initiative. A lot of marketers, and I think that this is where like this ties into the RevOps play, which is RevOps can own more of the conversation around finding those areas of multi-touch attribution that you can't track and being creative. That is something that like a great RevOps team can do and help your marketer to figure that out. Because your marketer's like, I have a hunch that this will work and I need to prove it. Can you help me prove it? And that that's super exciting. I think you're absolutely right. I would just add to that is that where RevOps can help is identify the right target audience for that marketing campaign or that market, you know, and can say like, this is what I've been seeing. This is the analysis. This is the result. This is how these guys interact. This is the deal size, the deal velocity. This is the type of audience we want to go after. And these are the results they've seen historically. And that can feed into, you know, that campaign or that event. And then ultimately you start tracking it and seeing it at much more holistic level than at the atomic level, you know, it's sometimes very, very hard. And you say like, okay, I went after this audience. Like we go a lot after the developer audience and we'll see that result. Someone else would go a lot after consumer audience. Someone might go after the mid-market. Someone might go after the large market. And I think that's where RevOps can really come in and say like, this is what works and this is doesn't. And then that helps the marketing team to figure out the right messaging, the right value proposition, and the right attribution overall. Yeah, I mean, you just nailed it, how complex this is. So the marketing team is marketing to SMB, mid-market, and enterprise who need three different types of messaging. There's, let's just say, seven personas within that that they're selling to. So that's 21 different campaigns that they have to be running, like types of campaigns. And then all of those people want individual industry vertical stuff too, right? So let's say there's you know another seven you know, there. You're already talking about like 80 plus different types of things. And that's where like the RevOps leader partnering with marketing, looking forward from a strategic standpoint is so valuable, right? Like I love the phrase that the chief marketing officer is the chief market officer. They need to understand the market. And the way that you're talking about RevOps being that strategic leader, that like those two things tied together is really exciting to me for the future of like RevOps is the marketer and the RevOps leader like tying together on the market and the strategy piece to figure out how to get the message in market as best as possible and sales closing the freaking deals that come in, you know? No, totally agree. Uh, I think you did the maths well, like, you know, three or four different segments. You have within those segments, seven or eight use cases. You know, you multiply four by seven, that's 28. Within those use cases, you might have three or four different kind of personas who you want to reach out in three or four different dimensions, you know? And how do you kind of create that grid where RevOps can identify and say, like, this is what I want to go after, and this is where you'll get the highest returns. And you also want to create a grid where you say, like, I don't want to go after these ones because, you know, and if you can give both those grids 
to the marketing team. And then they can craft a value proposition, a story for each of those personas, each of those cells in the grid. Then they can start targeting and doing a drip kind of, you know, campaigns, which then attracts those audiences to kind of engage with you. And then you need to figure out the right handoff from marketing to the sales team to say like, okay, I've warmed the lead enough for you. Now it's your time. And then the sales team take that lead and then ultimately get the leads to convert to the right deals. Uh, and then you hand it off to the customer success team, which then basically start upselling and cross-selling and ramping the customer to ultimately generate revenue for the company. Any other uh, blind spots that you wish you could measure better? I think attribution is big. The second blind spot, I would say, is what we are finding is, at least from our lens, is that once you have signed a contract, we also measure what we call deal-to-dollar metrics, which is the time to launch and the time to ramp. And that, in the past, we have not been very good, both in terms of measuring it and also figuring out the optimization path we are getting much more hyper-focused on figuring out, okay, once you have signed the deal, it means nothing to the company. You've actually invested a lot of dollars, both in marketing and sales team, to get the deal signed. The company actually starts making money when the deal which you've signed starts generating dollars for you. And how do you optimize that deal-to-dollar process? Because if you can reduce, on an average, if I'm taking six months to eight months, if I can reduce that by a month, that's a 15% extra return on me, just from a time perspective. If I have 10 clients I've signed and five of them are launching and five are not, I've lost like 50% of the investment I've already made. So how do I make sure that everyone launches and everyone rams on time? And I think that's another focus area where we are working very closely with our, with our delivery and onboarding team to make sure that that happens. We also work actually... On the top of the funnel, we work very closely with our solutions engineering team to make sure that the solutions which we are selling can be actually delivered on time when the deal closes. So that's another area we are very excited about. Anything particularly cool that you've, uh, you're doing with data or that you've done with data? We slice and dice data right from the top of the funnel all the way to the bottom of the funnel. On top of the funnel, we regularly look at our MQL we look at cost per lead, we look at our conversion rates, our win rates. Uh, as we get on the bottom of the funnel, we look at our time to launch, our time to ramp, and we kind of bring all of that together for our marketing team, for our sales team, and the customer success team. And we are constantly looking at trends and patterns to figure out you know, what happens uh, once a customer gets into our funnel, how long it takes to kind of move from one stage to the other. And I think it's really exciting to see like how certain customers of certain size and certain audiences behave versus the other. And I think that helps us inform, you know, where do we optimize our touch points with the customer? I just love the idea of onboarding as a great RevOps thing because, gosh, is that not one of the most forgotten children of this whole endeavor of that, you know, sales marketing CS thing, that speed to value Speed to value is like the best marketing thing you have. It's the best sales tool you have. And we don't invest into speed to market, right? Like that's like part of the thing. If you can do it actually the speed that all of your salespeople are promising, that that is a force multiplier. That like people will find out about that. They'll talk about it. They'll tell their friends about it. You know, there's a great story um, that the Empire State Building was built on time 
or is, is delivered early and it was under budget. We're like, when was the last time that that's ever happened? And it's like one of those things, right? If you're building the Empire State Building for them, that's great. We're going to have the tallest building in the world. That's awesome. Oh, but if you could do it, those other two things, uh, you know, they, then it's like the best story in the world. And like we underemphasize that. And it's such an important part of our brand, part of our go to market from word of mouth. And like we don't invest in it. So, like, why is nobody tracking this? And it's great to hear that you think about it from a RevOps perspective, because I think that's a great person to own it, to say, hey, listen, this needs to get better. Because if this number gets better, it will, you can see it down the line, return more revenue. I totally agree. And I think there are several components where you can actually make that happen much better. One is, how do you make sure that your delivery team is engaged in that solution itself when you're selling it? Especially it's more important in the B2B environment. So we try to bring our delivery team much closer in the solutioning phase itself. And sometimes they will sit in the sales motion trying to figure it out with the customer. So that alignment, not treating delivery, as you said, as a stepchild and like, hey, the deal's closed. Now it's your job. Figure it out. So they have that knowledge of the customer. The customer has knowledge of our delivery team. And they've already built that symbiotic relationship very early in the process. The second element is like, how do you make them feel a part of the GTA organization? In many places, they sit either in product world or in a separate world themselves. I think what we have done is done a good job of kind of bringing them together. And the third thing is we invest in that. Like we invest in their training, we invest in their tools and their processes, and we have incentive structures which we are looking to put in place to kind of bring that up in alignment with like, because they are, as you rightly said, among the biggest value creators for the company not only for the current deals, but also for the future deals. When do you hear like, hey, their delivery team is the best in the world? You'll be willing to pay more price. You would be willing to kind of give more and you, they can make it happen in six months for me. Like, and, and they can prove it that they can do it. So I think it's a great force multiplier for any RevOps organization and the go-to-market organization, I would say. Yeah, I love that. That's such, such a great point. They actually would pay more. That's a great point. Let's get to our final segment, Quick Hits. Quick! 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 These are quick questions and quick answers. Quick Hits. Mahesh, are you ready? Yep, go ahead. If you could make any animal, any size, what animal would it be and what size? It's a very interesting question. Uh, I think one of the animals uh, which I kind of admire from a distance is ants. Mm. And the reason I admire them is ants can carry 50 times more weight, their own body weight. They can work in a very collaborative manner along with their team members. And I think I love that aspect. Like, you know, one, they can carry much more weight than themselves. And then they can work in a very collaborative manner. The second animal, which I love is dove. Like dove is so peace and calm in any environment. And I wish, you know, if I could be a dove in many, many environments, especially when you're, you're trying to meet the CRO and CEO and trying to explain why the booking goals were not achieved. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You need, as much, you need as much. I never thought about that. Do you have a, uh, a RevOps misconception? I would anchor on two. I think one of the things is, as you know, uh, RevOps has been evolving and developing. And there's a misconception that, RevOps only for tech companies, I think. Obviously, uh, startups and tech companies kind of started using RevOps more as a prominent function and that engine of operational excellence. But the unity and the value of RevOps 
is relevant for any industry, whether it's healthcare, pharma, retail. Obviously, the tech world is a little bit more matured and advanced on all the tech stacks, processes, and utilizing RevOps. But I think the value of RevOps is amazing across any industry you put it, because at the end of the day, you are trying to create that interconnected alignment across different organizations and be the one single point of truth and efficiency for those teams. The second one is, I think a lot of RevOps teams anchor on data and data is central to RevOps, but data is not the only piece of the story. You know, RevOps does a lot more and RevOps should do a lot more and they are that strategic you know, alignment with the CEO, with the CRO, with the CFO, with your CMO, and obviously use a lot of data, but you can do a lot more. And I think RevOps is that function which can help you figure out your near-term and long-term go-to-market strategies as well. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show or something you've been checking out recently? My favorite book is uh, it's a book I read many, many years ago, and I keep on going back to it. It's the autobiography of a yogi. It's about a yogi who, uh, who was born in India, came to U.S., uh, Yogananda, and it's actually his biography. It's written very beautifully, and you can actually read it more as a story, but the spiritual lessons it has is amazing, and it's a light reading. And I love it uh, from time to time. In terms of TV, I've been watching a bit of Netflix. Uh, I don't know if you follow the Israeli uh, show Fada. It's something I've been trying to follow of late. Watch a few episodes of it, done some binge watching, and I like it as well. In terms of podcasts, I kind of listen to a wide range of podcasts. Uh, you know, so no strong favorites there, but I love podcasts. I think it's it's so useful. You can get really good information and knowledge from a variety of speakers. What's your piece of advice for someone who's newly leading a RevOps team? I have this mantra of three C's and I, I always tell it to my team or anyone who's aspiring to be a RevOps leader. The first mantra is communicate. Uh, the first C, communicate very clearly what the goals of RevOps teams are. Communicate both within your team and communicate with the stakeholders. In this case, your marketing team, your sales team, your customer success, finance, legal, and others. The second is collaboration. I think RevOps sits in the middle and the intersection of all these stakeholders. Collaboration is key. And if you can build a great collaboration engine and partnership with marketing, with sales, with finance, you know, you need them for pricing, you need legal for contract management, you will be on your way to success. And the third thing I, I say is commitment. That's my third seat. Commit to the growth and the vision of the company. And commit to the team's growth. I think sometimes the RevOps team members are left on the side, and that should not be it. Like Those three Cs are kind of my guiding principle, and hopefully it would help some of the others. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. Mahesh, so awesome having you on the show. Thanks so much for listeners. You can go to marketa.com to learn more and check out all the stuff that they're doing. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, Ian, thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure uh, chatting with you. I think your questions kind of gave me more insights into what we should be doing. So really thoughtful, insightful questions and more than happy to share anything else. Uh, but thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it and talk soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. 
This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.